listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Let me add my welcome to Marla's. My name is Mark and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus and we are glad you are here this morning. And I want to invite you in your Bibles or on your devices to the book of Micah chapter 5. Today actually marks our sixth sermon, believe it or not, through the book of Micah. Some weeks we cover an entire chapter, some weeks it is only a few verses. Today we'll look at about six. We could probably spend six weeks just on these six verses. But if you're new to our series this morning, I thought it'd be good just to give you a very quick kind of overview as we kind of jump into this book of Micah. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, we see that God does something. He chooses this small, unassuming, unknown group of people to be His people in an example to the world. This group of people becomes known as Israel. God chose Israel not because they were powerful or well-known, not even because they were numerous, but God chose them simply because He chose them. It says His love and that He made promises to their forefathers, and so He chose Israel. And Israel was supposed to live in covenant with what God has called Yahweh throughout the Old Testament. In fact, He gave them these things to do. They were to prepare their food a certain way. They were to make sacrifices in a particular order, in a particular manner. They were to treat each other in a certain way. And most of all, they were to worship one single God. And the people, they were to look around their neighbors and they were to see this unity that Israel had with each other and with God. God wanted them to be his kind of ambassadors as we see that word throughout the Bible. But Israel had a problem that is our problem is they looked around at their neighbors and the things that they had and they wanted to be just like their neighbors. And at the top of the list was they said, we want a king. They looked around, they said, that's it. That is what we need right there. Do you know what God does? He turns them over to the desires of their heart. And he gives them a king. Time doesn't have to go long and we have King Saul But it doesn't take long for things to turn bad. But in the midst of Israel's rebellion, God brings a man to them named David. David's not a perfect man, but God had a purpose and a plan for this king David. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David and he gives him several things. And he says, David 1, I want to give the people land that will be un." disturbed. They will be safe and they will be secure. He says, I want to give them a place to dwell and I'm going to build a house. I want you to build this for me where I will dwell among the people. And he said, David, I will make your name great. But the big one had to be this for the people. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Imagine, that had to be the best news that a king could ever hear. And he says, I will have someone sitting on your throne, and it will be established forever. Well, time marches, and so does the people's wickedness. And the nation, that was to be an example of unity, they become divided. 
Israel begins in the northern kingdom with the ten tribes and the southern kingdom of Judah because of Solomon's sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and the nation is now completely divided. Things get worse. Idolatry is thriving in the land, and you can go worship the temple of God in the morning like this, and in the afternoon you could go to the temple of Baal to cover all of your bases. So what does God do? He starts sending them some messengers, people to say, listen, uh, O Israel. And one of those prophets is Micah. And for four chapters, we have watched Micah talk about this coming judgment to Israel. The southern people, they've watched the northern kingdom fall to the Assyrians. Now, I have to stop right here because last week my phone started going off because downtown, every time Eric Barton said Syria, someone's phone started, said, hey Siri, and their phone started waking up. So you might want to silence those phones. But Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And the southern kingdom watches this happen. Micah continues to come to them over and over again, but they will not listen. But to set this up this morning, I want to begin with a question. If I had one of those old-time easy buttons this morning, and this easy button, I passed them out, and it came to you, and if you pushed it, and this morning the question would be, where would you want more peace in your life? There's an area of your life that needs more peace, and you could just push that button, and instantly there was more peace. Where would it be? And I thought about if you lived in the South Carolina area, man, you would push that button just to hope for no more flooding. Imagine what that would be like, that every day you're wondering, man, what is going to happen today? And I know we can turn on the news, and for some of us, we'd want to push that button to say, please, no more shootings by or of police officers. Let's just end this. What about peace in a person or a character to simply vote for with a clear conscience? Or maybe in your financial situation, and it just seems as soon as you just can begin to get your head above water, something else happens or comes up. And for you, you might push that easy button because you would say at the top of the list is my marriage because each and every day there is just more tension and more strife. And we are just in this endless cycle. Maybe your job and your parenting. Maybe you're caring for aging parents or just simply health or sickness issues. Let's face it, we we all have an area that we want to push that button to find more peace in our life. But why did you pick the area that you did. I believe the reason you did is because of this, is because for some reason or another, maybe for several reasons, that's the area that you're finding the most displeasure. Because there's displeasure in your job or communication or intimacy in your marriage or in a situation with someone you care about or that you love. There's displeasure in the political system or maybe in your financial situation. There is some level of displeasure And displeasure causes a lack of peace every single time. These two, they they don't go well together. They're always at odds. When one is up, the other one is going to be down. When you're at a high level of peace, guess what? Displeasure is very low. But when displeasure is very high, you're going to find a lack of peace. 
And this morning, this is where we find those people living in the southern kingdom of Judah. Micah is looking around and everything they know and everything they love. Micah knows he has seen it. It's going to be taken away. And the level of displeasure is going to go through the roof. And they will be suffering from a tremendous lack of peace. And they had a beautiful, I mean, a beautiful fortified city that gave them security. Micah knows everything that they love. They have families and children. They have jobs to support their families. They had celebrations to look forward to. And it's all about to change every single bit of it. Because God's going to allow an enemy, just like he did in the north, to come and to take everything they love and are trusting in. They're about to lose their freedom and their security. Even their simple way of life is about to be taken away. And it is going to be anything but peaceful. But I want us to see that even through this awful time and, and displeasure that God is going to bring upon his people, God's going to do this. But he's also going to be loving, he's going to be merciful in the end. He's going to bring them peace. So let's pick up in verse 1 of Micah chapter 5. He says, now muster, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And so this word muster, it means to gather or to mobilize the troops. And Micah is telling his people probably, hey, get ready. A fight is coming. In fact, he says siege. Siege is going to be laid upon us. This is the only time we see this in the Old Testament. It means to, to tie up or to maybe encircle or to bind. And he's describing what's about to happen. They're going to be taken into captivity. But he says this judge is going to be struck on the cheek. And you read that and we think, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But Micah is referring to what is he talking about? Well, it, it is a term used for extreme humiliation. I think he's talking about King Zedekiah. You take David and you go about seven or eight generational kings and you get Zedekiah. Zedekiah was attacked by the great and famous King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's the leader of Babylon. And for three years, he comes and he surrounds Jerusalem. And he attacks them every day for three years. Imagine what that was like for three years. You wonder, is today going to be our last day? Are the walls going to hold today? And finally, after three years, that day comes. You know what they do? Zedekiah, the king the one that was supposed to be their leader, and, and to lead them by example. And he runs for his life. And they hunt him down and they capture him, him and his sons. And so this strike, this sign of humiliation, turn to 2 Kings 25, you would read about Zedekiah, and it says now there is no longer a king in Israel. They take him, they kill his sons, they put his eyes out, and they bind him in chains. And now there is no longer a king. Zedekiah becomes the last king of Israel. Imagine that promise that God made to David. Someone will sit on your throne forever. Your kingdom will be established forever. And now there is no longer a king. There is no longer Israel. The north is gone. Now the southern kingdom has fallen the same fate. There is no more Israel. Man, doesn't that, I mean, that reads like, the end of the story. 
I mean, the last and the greatest city has fallen. The last king is captured and he's tortured. And here's the tension. God had made a promise many years ago that a king would always sit on David's throne. Now there's not only a throne because the Babylonians destroyed it, there's no king, and it seems like it is all hopeless. But it's not the end of the story. Look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who is too little among you the clans of Judah. So Ephrathah is the ancient or the old name of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is this small little place located about five miles south of Jerusalem. In fact, this town is so small, it is so unassuming, no one even notices this little town of Bethlehem. In Judges 15, it lists a hundred cities under Judah, and guess what? Bethlehem is not even listed among them. But God loves to do big and amazing things with small, unknown, and not very popular people. Because look what it says at the end of verse 2. From you, from you Bethlehem, shall come forth... For me, one who will be a ruler in Israel, who is coming from forth, from of old, from ancient days. And that right there, we just read the most popular verse in the entire book of Micah. From you, O Bethlehem, who is too little among you, the clans of Judah. From you, for me, will come forth a ruler of Israel, who is coming forth from the old, from ancient of days. Now, God had previously told Judah that they were going to lose everything. He said, I'm going to take it all from you. They were about to go through something absolutely horrible. But the trouble, the trouble's not going to last forever. Because from Bethlehem, God is going to bring forth something. What's he going to bring forth? Well, he's going to bring forth a ruler. It says a king. But this king is not going to be like the other ones. Notice two things about it. So interesting to me. He says, from you, for me. And we would think it'd be just the opposite. God would say, listen, from me, I'm going to send for you. But it's just the opposite. He says, from you, I'm going to raise up this king for me. So why is that significant? Because all the other kings of Israel, at some point, were only living for themselves. They were going about their lives. Even the good kings like David from time to time would lead from this very selfish mindset. But this king, this new king, he was coming for Yahweh. God knew that Israel, that united Israel, he knew they needed a king that would come and not lead from just selfish reasons. They need a king that would come and rightly represent God for them. They need a king that would not run away when the battle came that he would lay down his life. But notice the second thing. This king is not actually a new king at all. We would think the story would go from me for you. Down the line, it's finally going to be someone born that is going to then be the king. But he says this king is not a new king at all. This king comes not from the future, but it comes from the past. This king is coming from old, from ancient days. And I think the reference is two major things here. It doesn't take you very long to figure out that Micah 2 is, in fact, a direct reference to Jesus. Jesus is going to be the king that's born in Bethlehem. So one of the things that Micah wants his readers to know is that there is coming a Savior, not just a king. There's coming, there's coming someone that's going to bring them back from captivity. 
And they need to keep their eyes on this small little town of Bethlehem because this ruler, this ruler, this savior, this king, he's coming from there. You know, we have the privilege of knowing that his name is Jesus. There's another connection. You know, many towns are famous for, I don't know, a lot of different reasons. Last week I told you, if you follow country music, that you know that Miranda Lambert, she's from Lindell, Texas, and Drew went down last week and helped her pick out a guitar. Make sure you ask him about that. If you follow Christian music, you know that Chris Tomlin's from Grand Saline, Texas. And so there are certain towns that are known from the people that, that come out of there. Well, everyone reading or listening to Micah's message would have been familiar with Bethlehem really for only one reason. It's this small, it's this little unassuming town that no one knows about. It's not even listed in the towns of Judah. But everyone knew that Bethlehem, it was the birthplace of David. Now, I've always wondered, why why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? I think the reason is that God was showing everyone that he is always faithful to his word. God has promised that there will always be a king on David's throne. People would have lost all hope when Jerusalem, the most powerful city they had, the temple and the throne were destroyed and their last king was captured and humiliated. What the people did not know was that there was really coming another king. In fact, he was already and always ruling. That is how this king is coming from ancient days, from of old And God brings Jesus forth from Bethlehem to show that he always keeps his promises. He says, you know, you think David has lost the throne. You think there's no throne for a king to sit on. But I want you to know there's been a king that has always been here. And guess where I'm going to bring him out of? I'm going to bring him out of Bethlehem. Let's see what else happens. Look at verse 3. Therefore, he shall give up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Now, now for time's sake, we do not have time to get into all the alternative interpretations of what this verse could be talking about. But here's what we know for sure. Judah is going to be given up. They're going to be taken away. They're going to experience sorrow and displeasure. There's going to be sorrow and pain and captivity. But the good news is it will not last forever. Their sorrow, their displeasure, it's going to last until the birth of someone who can really and finally deliver them. But notice what it's going to take. Notice what the people need in the last three verses. And he, this one that is going to come, he shall stand. And he's going to shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into the land and treads on their palaces, then he will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. He shall shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, and the land of Nimrod at their entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land, and he treads within our borders." So the one that is going to be born, the one that will come and relieve their sorrow and the displeasure, is described as a shepherd. And I think the imagery is supposed to be one of pure calmness and peace. You never see the 
picture of the shepherd sitting out there and yelling at his stupid sheep. No, you always see them caring and loving and protecting them. But I want you to see some important things about what the people need. First of all, it says that he is standing. What's, what's so significant about that? It means he is coming to act on their behalf. There is work to be done. He is going to stand for them. It says he's going to shepherd. This new ruler, he is going to care and protect his people. He's not going to be like the other ones that are only looking out for themselves. Oh, and he says he's going to shepherd in the strength of the Lord. To think, man, what? there's no greater strength than that. He's going to shepherd in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God, meaning he is not going to shepherd for his own glory. He is coming for Yahweh. He's coming for the Lord himself, and he will do it in his name. He says secure. Man, he says there will be a time of certainty and protection. Man, they'd probably lost all hope of that. And he says he will be great to the ends of the earth, meaning his power and his influence is going to reach everywhere. But the last one I think is by far the most important. It says, He shall be their peace. So not only is this ruler going to bring peace, but this ruler is actually going to be their peace. And here's what I think Micah's point is. Trouble is coming. Displeasure is coming to rob them of every single ounce of peace they have. The Assyrians are coming, and nothing is going to stop them. They're going to be taken away, and they're going to lose everything they know and everything they love. But God will not forget them. He's not going to abandon them. But one day, He's going to rise up against them with enough people to lead and deliver them. So Micah is saying that there will be a day of peace again. And this peace is found not in a system. It is found in a person. It's found in a shepherd. It's found in Jesus. And so, what in the world does this story that was written so long ago to a people that don't even exist, what does it have to do with October the 16th of this year? Well, I want to point out three things. I mean, you could think of hundreds probably. But I would say one this, that don't forget that Christ brings significance. I mean, he, chose, he chose Bethlehem, a small and quiet, out-of-the-way place, and he does something there that changes the course of history and even eternity. Why, why, would, he, why would he do this? Because when he acts this way, we can't boast in our own achievements and merits we only look, and it is the glorious mercies of God. We can't say, well, of course, I mean, look at Bethlehem. Of course he chose Bethlehem. We might say that about Jerusalem, but Bethlehem's achieved nothing. All they can say is God is not impressed with our bigness. He does nothing in order to attract attention to, to our accomplishments. He does everything to magnify his glorious freedom and mercy. I mean, just think about that Christmas story. Why did God choose an innkeeper? Why did he put him in this stable? Well, it's so that no innkeeper could look around and say, listen, he, y'all just don't know. I mean, look at what he chose. He chose my inn. Why did he choose a manger? It's so no woodworker could boast about, man, look at how great of a craftsman I am. That's why he chose me. 
He chose Bethlehem so that no one could boast. And he chooses you and me freely and unconditionally and does it because we have nothing to boast in, absolutely nothing. In fact, he is saying that our only significance, the only significance you have, the only thing that will really matter is because of what Christ has done for you, not you. Second, I'd say that Christ secures every single promise of God for us. Think about those promises God made to David. He promised there would always be someone to sit on David's throne. So what does he do? He brings forth Jesus from Bethlehem, just like David, to show that Jesus is that king and ruler. And then that he does something that we could never imagine. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it reminds us that all, all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. Meaning God is never and he never will break a single promise. And so when you're in that moment of doubting that, I mean, just remind yourself of Bethlehem. And the last thing I noticed is that Christ is our peace. Not only does he bring peace, not only does he going to cause peace, it says that he becomes our peace. In fact, on the night that Jesus died, he looked at those disciples and he says, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Believe in God and believe also in me. Meaning he came for your peace. He came for your shalom. In fact, the Old Testament says this is the highest blessing that there is, is shalom. I mean, think about that group of people in Jerusalem. They wake up that day and that's the day that the walls finally give way. They're finally invaded. You can start thinking of all the horrific things that would come along with that invasion. Man, they had to be scared. They had to even be terrified. They had to wonder what was God going to allow to happen to them. But the good news is that we know the rest of the story. We know what happens to those captives. And God knew, God knew exactly what was going to happen to them. He was orchestrating it all. And God knew and God had a plan. And so do we really think that God doesn't know what we're going through right now? Do you not think that he isn't prepared and he isn't capable of providing for your peace even when you're going through things right now? So church, grab a hold of this this morning. Peace is the absence of displeasure. Peace is the absence of displeasure. But you will never have peace in this life You'll never have it. You cannot find, you can chase after everything else. You can try everything you can, but you will never have peace in this life until you place yourself under the rule of the one that holds every single circumstance of your life in his hands. The truth is, in this life, you'll never get rid of every displeasure. There is no political system. There is no financial situation. There is no marriage that you will find it completely dissolved of displeasure. But the greatest act of peace Christ ever did was to reconcile sinners like you and me to God. Our belief and our disbelief and our wrath, it has been absolutely removed. But here's the greatest thing that we see from Micah. In that moment that, that Christ takes your unbelief and he gives you faith, and in that moment that he takes away God's wrath, he is removing every ounce of displeasure that God could possibly have towards you. 
Christ removed it all. Every single ounce of displeasure God could have towards you. And then you walk away fully accepted by God. And so here's the greatest thing. Today we get to witness this. Today in just a moment you're going to watch five people get into this water. And we're going to see people publicly come before us and say, I now, I have peace with God through Christ. They are ones that get to say, He is my peace. It's nothing I've done. There's nothing I've done to earn this. There's nothing I have done to do to deserve this. But He is now my peace. And so, church family, I, I need you to know, you're going to watch this. And we talked about this about a week ago. That five different times you're going to watch the gospel played out before you. That they stand as sinners and they're going to get in the water and they're going to represent their sins being washed away. They're going to be united with Christ in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And then you know what we get to do? We get to continue to love them and teach them and encourage them. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask during this time that those that are coming forward to be baptized, if they would uh, kind of make their way and get lined up. And um, So families, get your cameras ready and church, get ready to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you and we're thankful that you always have a plan. That there isn't a time that in our lives or even through the lives of Israel that anything caught you off guard. You know exactly every circumstance, every situation that they were going to walk through, and even as we sit here today. Father, you know and you have a plan. So, Father, help us to trust that. Help us to know what it means to have you as our peace. And so we're thankful this morning that these coming before you and, and their church family, that they have that peace in Christ. And Father, if there's anyone that is going to watch this this morning, and they're sitting there and they know that they don't have that. That they would seek you out. That you would grant them faith this morning. To know and to believe that the only way to have that right relationship with you is through Christ. And it's through your Son that we ask these things. And by the power of your Spirit we say, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.